Okay, so welcome to this uh, podcast. I'm here with um, Corey Mortensen. So Corey's got a, an interesting story, <laughs> which is over three books. <laughs> um, and um, we're going to just have a chat about different aspects of what he's done in, in terms of travel. Um, some of it is... I think making it up as you go along in terms of doing the travel, but also the impact that that travel and those experiences have had on your life. So first of all, welcome to the podcast, Corey. Thank you, Graham. It was really nice to meet you. <clears throat> Great. So look, I thought we'd just start um, really um, maybe if you just give us an overview of kind of your, your brief kind of personal history before we dive in, do the the kind of helicopter view and then, We'll, we'll dive into some specifics because if, if people don't know you, that might be helpful. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, I had a typical uh, childhood growing up. Uh, you know, uh, dad was a pilot and that kind of um, planted some seed on travel. So I got a lot of opportunity to travel when I was a young kid and, and we moved around a little bit. So I was never really, uh, let's just say I don't have a lot of childhood friends. I have a tendency to have making friends, you know, as you travel, a lot of people who've lived in a military family or anything like that understand uh, right. you, you have a lot of great people in your life and maybe you have a handful that you keep in touch with, but uh, um, it's, I don't go to class reunions. Let's just say that. Um, so, so when I, when I went to college, I, I wasn't the best student and there was an opportunity, a friend of mine's a father had uh, to go out to a place called Wake Island, which is probably one of the top five most remote places in the world. And it's just a small little atoll out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Um, the only reason why you might have heard about it, it was the first uh, place where the Japanese attacked before they attacked Pearl Harbor. Right. So yeah. it was a yeah, it was a military base. And um, so I think I the airfield takes up quite a large part of it, doesn't it? The, the airfield, <laughs> most of it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I kind of joke if a seven forty seven lands on it, the they practically hang over the 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 <laughs> island over the ocean. It's a it's a pretty small place, but. Um, there there was a bunch of uh, Thai people who had contract with the U.S. government. And that was my first real kind of exposure to um, a different culture. And I totally ate it up, just loved it. Yeah. And when I, when I came back to the States, I was totally restless. But I also have uh, that firstborn syndrome where I feel like I had some responsibility to go get a job and, you know, make my parents happy. So I did that. <laughs> but but um as as the years went on i would take advantage of my job was as an architectural project manager um i was able to bank my hours so i could take uh, more than two weeks off which um for all you non-us americans um we only get about two weeks off a year uh we don't we don't get lucky yeah. and have a month off like the, the europeans do um or so we so we led to believe so um, I would bank my hours and go to Central America typically because it was easy. I kind of knew the span the language and it was rather inexpensive. Um, and for some reason, Europe didn't interest me as much as Latin America. I think because Latin America was, um, you know, Europe felt um, a little too much like the United States in that it was, you know, technology wise, it was uh, not not a third world country or second world country. Yeah. So I wanted something different. <clears throat> and so I would do that and I told myself one day, I'm going to, when I turn 30, I'm going to travel the world. <laughs> and uh, 
I was uh, running marathons at the time and I was running with a, a guy by the name of Ron King. He's no longer with us, unfortunately, but he was about 75 years old. And I said, Ron, I said, I need your wisdom. I said, uh, I want to travel the world, but I'm doing very well with my career and I don't want to give it up. And he told me a story about how he and his wife got married in 1948 and they received $2,000 US and uh, they were going to go travel Europe and for their honeymoon. And they decided instead of doing that, they go to Europe the next day, year and buy a house. So they bought the house and they were going to go to Europe the next year. And the next year came around, they bought furniture for the house. He said, Corey, I'm 73 years old and I've never been to Europe. Oh, wow. And yeah. that was it. That's all he had to say. So yeah. um, at the time I had two houses, one I was renting and one I was living in. And I sold the one house and I got on my bicycle <laughs> and I biked to California. It was after a breakup and uh, I got to California I was flush with cash, and I decided that I was going to quit my job and head south. So I left my bicycle in California and worked my way all the way down to Antarctica. Wow. And along the way, I met a nice Australian lady who I became very fond of. <laughs> and she was going to Carnival, and I was going to Antarctica to go run a marathon. And I said, okay, I'll meet you in London. And uh, she was doing the two-year permits. I think you have like a two-year work visa opportunity um, if yeah. you're an Australian. Yeah. And uh, so I said, I'll be there, but there was no date. So I came home, sold my other house, and went to Iceland and then hiked down the Penine Way to uh, London. Yeah. And it didn't work out. <laughs> so, <Okay. laughs> so I was flushed with cash. I had nothing uh, except for what was in my backpack. And uh, and I had the whole world to explore. So yeah. I just kind of wandered around for a while. And uh, eventually my uncle uh, found me when I was in Dubrovnik and had asked, he's starting a furniture business. And he said, hey, would you be interested in flying to China? And I said, uh, sure, I've got nothing else to do. So I flew to China to go look at the factory uh, products that he was making to make sure they were uh, of good quality. And um, I ended up staying in Southeast Asia for eight months, um, a little bit at the factory, and then I'd play around and back to the factory and play around. And then it just uh, all of a sudden I started a business. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> as you do, because I'm not a call, I don't have a college education and, uh, and, uh, and I don't have a job for a while. So I started a business and um, worked really hard at it and uh, sold it 10 years later. And uh, I met my wife about 10 years after that. And I said, honey, I want to go travel the world again. And so after the contract was up with the company that bought my company, I sold, we sold everything and put our backpacks on and went down to South America for two years. And uh, now we're, now we're in Arizona, not by design. We, we came back and uh, she had a great op job opportunity and I had an opportunity for a while. So we took the opportunity, we bought a house and now we're kind of about a year or two. We're going to, we're ready to, we're going to keep the house this time. We, I think we need yep. a landing, a base, but uh, we're ready. <laughs> but uh, we're ready to take off again. And and on that trip, we did a lot of volunteering. So that was that that made it more enjoyable, right? Like it's yeah. sometimes when you're hiking mm -hmm. around trying to figure out where you're going to sleep that night, it's it's selfish. I think. Well, it's, and I'm not judging. I'm just for me, it was kind of like how many pictures of a door can I take, uh, you know, or yeah. of a of a walkway. And so we incorporated uh, volunteering. And we really, really enjoyed that. So when we get back out on the road, that's what we want to do again. That's something that I suggest to people. If I mean, my focus is mostly wildlife, but I always suggest if you really want to 
see what's going on, volunteer on a project rather than do the, the organized safaris because you learn such a lot more about the animals, about what's going on, um, the threats, what, what's being done to um, remove the threats. And you get exclusive access to animals often as well in these very expensive places. And you're giving back to the community. It's, it's, it's much more than a holiday doing that. Um, there's one thing you said I've got to come back to, and that was you were talking about going to Antarctica to run a marathon. Yes. So, because I've run half marathons, but um, yeah, I, I'm just trying to picture a marathon in Antarctica. <laughs> How did that work? Well, it's uh, it was interesting. I was in, I was, in, I had run, I think I had run around twelve marathons at this time. By this time, so it, it wasn't my first rodeo, my first marathon. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, sometimes, you know, when you're backpacking around by yourself, you're meeting a lot of lovely people and things, but, you know, you have to have a purpose. <laughs> and so yeah. I was like, what's my purpose? And I found this marathon and I said, you know what, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to go to Antarctica and I'm going to run this marathon. And now I have a purpose every day to go train for this marathon. That was like, yeah, that was my purpose. And, um, I got down there and it was, it was run by a group called, uh, Marathon travel marathon travel i know i'm I'm missing another word for their name but um yeah and and i called i contacted the man from from uh from the email and i said if i get to ushuaia south america could i get a discount on the cost of the trip because they were all meeting in buenos aires and and he had an extra room and he said yeah sure come on down so um at the time it was it was expensive, but it was about $2,000, which is now, I think they're like 12,000. But, um, and so I got down there and, uh, jumped on the ship and it was a one and a half day journey down to the peninsula. And we traveled around the islands. And then, uh, we, uh, the marathon was actually held on King, uh, King Island. uh, I'm sorry, King George. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, and so you, it was an out and back. So you started at the Russian uh, research base, and then you go out to the Chinese research base and the Argentinian research base. And uh, my favorite stamp in my passport is a uh, the a Russian Antarctica research base. <laughs> Brilliant! <laughs> no, I, I guess there aren't too many people who can uh, boast one of those. <laughs> no, it, I'll tell you my favorite part of that story is um, uh, this. This just. All you kids out there, behave wherever you are because you'll never know who you're going to run into. Uh, this was a, a race only had a hundred people from all over the world, and yeah. uh, and we're not, you know, we get kind of in the United States, we kind of get, you know, anything outside of reporters doesn't exist. So yeah. I just, <laughs> so, you the rest know, of us have noticed that. <laughs> or have you? Yeah. So, um, so it was like I just want to be clear: this is a hundred people from all over the world. And this one woman approaches me and she's from the United States. And she asked me, how did I get on the ship? Because they had all met in Buenos Aires and I wasn't with the group. So I explained to her that I'd been backpacking around and, and she asked me and she said, well, where are you from? I said, well, I'm from Minnesota, which is a state in the North middle part of the United States. And at the time um, it was a small marathon running community. I said, Oh, do you know a gentleman by the name of Mark Bronzeville? And I was just dropping a name. I hardly know the guy. And she goes, well, yeah, I know him. How do you know him? I said, uh, well, he's a good friend of my uncle. And uh, I kind of know him. And she said, well, what's your uncle's name? I said, Steve. And now 100 people all over the world shipped to Antarctica. She goes, oh, Steve Heckenleibel? 
And she pronounced it correctly. And I said, yeah, that's my uncle. And she goes, well, I know your grandmother. I know your aunts. And I said, oh, my gosh. She goes, Mark is my brother. <laughs> oh, far out. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure you've had a lot of those encounters. where it's, Yeah, it's really weird when, when things like that happen. That's, that's amazing. So I want to talk about your books because that the, the three books that you've written, maybe tell us a little bit about that, those, and because they seem to encompass a lot of your stories. So it seems um, a nice way to sort of go into your story a little bit, talk about the books. And what inspired you? Um, as, as we spoke earlier, this, this two-year trip really changed your life. Maybe you could share some of that as well, which I know is what the books are about. But that would be great for people to hear. And there's one free phrase that I'll drop in now as well, relates to what you were talking about. And this is a phrase that a close friend of mine was talking about the other day. And it's simply, um, if now, if not now, when? And I think that's mm. such a powerful little statement because we, we don't, unfortunately, the, the the person who actually said that is no longer with us as well mm. and went very suddenly. So we just don't know what lies ahead. So I think that, you know, it's just such a fantastic little phrase. If you're in doubt, um, just go for it. So anyway, yeah, please share a, a, really about that journey where you just decided to to go and um, how that kind of took you to where you are now. Sure, sure. Thank you. And I agree with that state. I mean, uh, my wife's mom is our biggest supporter when it comes to us selling everything and getting off the grid because her husband passed away young. And, and so, um, you know, it's, you're so right. That's a great statement. Well, getting back to kind of what I touched on, on the, on the earlier is um, I was 31 and I told myself when I was 30, I was going to go travel the world. <laughs> and then I hit 31 and I was like, Oh, my life's over. I'm 31. I'm too old now. I can't do it. You know, and, downhill. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and, and I think when you're that, young um you kind of feel that way you don't you know it's yeah. like 30 is forever now i'm 54 and i'm like i feel like i'm 23 we talked yeah. about that earlier yeah so um it's it's it was funny so i was i i went to my work and i said i would like to take a two-month leave of absence so just like a two-month unpaid um break and they said no problem it was slow so I decided to get on my bicycle that I had bought for a race two years prior. And um, so, so where were you when, when you started the bicycle? Oh, where were you? Yeah, right. I was in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So okay. um, Minneapolis, Minnesota is in the middle north part of the United States. Uh, just you, south you cycled down to California. So what sort of distance was that? It was about, uh, I think it was about 2,000 miles. Yeah. So uh, I, what is that in kilometers? So three point. Two. Uh, you, um, what do you uh, somebody listening oh, knows, worked it out? But anyway, yeah, three and a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I roughly double it. I'm not very good at that. Okay, it's like I, I, in my books, I always do distances to compare. Like, um, you know, uh, Minneapolis to New York is the same as uh, Paris is to you know London or something. So I always try to put those comparisons in. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember. But it was it took me uh, twenty about 25 pedaling days. I did take a, a couple of days off in Colorado when I got and visited my cousin. So um, I was woefully unprepared. Um, the longest I had ever biked in the last two years before my race was 10 miles. And I thought that was sufficient training enough. Um, that was some Jameson shots and beers. And uh, 
I loaded up my bike again, had no clue. The first thing I did is I put a, a giant rucksack on <clears throat> that you would go on a multi-day hike with. Yeah. And that just destroyed me the first day. My first day was a hundred miles. Wow. <laughs> my shoulders were shattered. Yeah. I, I got, I got off the bike. I went to a library or I'm sorry, to a, a, a post office. I mailed home anything that was important. I threw away everything else. And so all after that first day, all I had was a tent, sleeping bag, uh, t-shirt, shorts and um some sandals and then whatever else i was wearing and uh and it was a struggle i I will admit it was struggle you know at first i thought well what what a beautiful thing i get to ride my bike every day for 30 days but uh i will say to people who have not done this or thinking about done it or maybe who have done it it's lonely you know it's Mm -hmm. it's that's the hardest part is is getting over that loneliness and um and at the time, we didn't have i things. I call them i things. Um, we didn't have iPhones, so it wasn't that I could just text and engage on Facebook and you know do something like that. It was I didn't even have music, so it was just you know a hundred miles out in the cornfields, and uh, and m- I spent most of my time the first three days contemplating how to get back home <laughs> and finish this thing. Yeah, and yeah. and then I remembered that I have a whole bunch of friends that would give me a, a hard time for the rest of my life if I did that, you know, so yeah. it was kind of that motivation. So I finally, I finally got to Colorado and um, I realized that I, I made it halfway and that was kind of a, a feather in my cap mentally. And then uh, the two days after that was nine 11. So I was actually biking over the Rocky mountains when nine 11 happened. And so I had no clue. Like I didn't see the footage until two days later when I finally found a hotel room yeah. and then it just, then that changed everything. It was like, okay, I'm 31. Now I've got to live my life because of all these people, you know, there was young people on these planes. There's, you know, mm-hmm. it's like you said, you know, if not now, when, um, they didn't, they didn't get another day. So, you know, yeah. then, it, then it changed my thought process a little bit. And then as I got out into the desert, the desert does things to you. <laughs> and you, when you're out there and it's hot and you're alone and you just kind of all of a sudden really start reflecting on who you are and, and, um, and especially when you're doing something physical like this. And so when I got to California, um, I was sitting with my cousin and uh, she said, uh, what are you going to do? I said, I, I, haven't, I haven't got an idea. I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. And I said, but I'm not going to go back to work. I know that. Mm-hmm. So I called up my company and I said, thank you for holding my position, but I'm going to move on. They were very nice. And they said, okay. And uh, I put my thumb out on the highway and uh, Pacific coast highway and hitchhiked down to Mexico and then just kind of made it up every day Yeah. <laughs> until then. So, and then going into South and Central America, I had been to Central America so many times. I wasn't too keen on spending a lot of time there. I want, really wanted to get into South America. And so um, I really just tried to go to these small little towns and off the grid things. And, and um, again, like we talked about earlier, there was no, <laughs> There was no device in your hand. So like when you get off a bus and uh, hopefully you got on the right bus and if you get off the bus, then it's kind of like, where do I go? You is some other backpacker you met who gave you an address in a town and you're trying to find the hostel or the lady's house that makes yeah. a great burrito. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's exciting. Um, I mean, that's, it's super exciting. I, I loved it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think um, I, I've had a similar experience in as much as I, I when I first moved to Australia to live, I, I passed my motorcycle 
test about six months earlier. If I think awesome. less than that, actually, on a 125. And I just got to Brisbane, bought myself a big 900 shaft drive, and then spent the next four and a half months riding around <laughs> all the way around Australia. And you're absolutely right. A lot of it is mental. And I actually came off the bike on my first night and it, it had been so, it had been raining heavily as well. I was soaked through, through my leathers. My t-shirt was soaked. It had black marks all over it where the dye from the leather had come through. Um, my boots were full of water. You know, it was pretty horrible and I was freezing cold and I was just ready to go just to quit. And what drove me on was I thought, well, if I, you know, I've got to look at my face in the mirror when I shave from here on. Am am I going to be looking at someone who quit or am I going to be looking at someone who just kind of got down and carried on? And that drove me on. And I think perhaps to, to, to parallel you a little bit, it did change the way I saw things and I saw myself because I knew how close I'd come to quitting and how much I wanted to quit. And how frightened I was to carry on, to be honest, as well, because I hadn't been riding the bike for very long. And here I was with this thing on top of me at one point. So I think those kind of experiences, while <laughs> on the one hand, I don't particularly recommend them. On the other hand, I, I do recommend that you try to challenge yourself in whatever way that is, because you become a different person as a result. I think a better person. So I can relate to some of your story in that, in, in that sense. And, and I was on my own in and out of backpackers and I used to find that sometimes I would I'd get to a place I'd meet people and it was great and then they'd go where I'd go and then I it would take me another day or kind of shut down emotionally so I could be me again and just go along with it because there's that hole left by people I think when you I don't know if you found this but when you're traveling a bit and you meet someone you've got someone there for a few days and then you disappear there is a kind of hole when you're back on your own again I don't know if that's an experience you had, but that was part of mine. <laughs> yeah, well, totally. And I, I want to go back to what you said about, uh, was it your first day you said you were drenched and you were looking at yourself in the mirror? Yeah, I'd, I'd actually come off because I'd missed a turning and it was it was pouring down with rain. I had to, I'd, I was supposed to turn off at a roundabout, I missed it. But when I got into the outside lane to do a right driving on the side of the road to do in Aussie, I hadn't realised there was a load of loose stones in that lane. So the bike just slipped out. And... Um, yeah, I got everything off. I had the hairdryer, you know, cutting out all the time because I had it shoved down my the sleeves of my leather jacket and all of these things. And it was just that following morning, the guy brought me breakfast and I'm shaving and I'm thinking about it. I'm looking at the news on TV and, I, it, you know, and 90% of me wanted to go back and quit. Right. There's 10%, the stubborn 10% kicked in. And it was exactly that thing about the thought, well, if I, if I do quit, for the rest of my life, I've got to look at myself in the mirror. And it's, that was the thing for me. You know, it's funny. I, I write about that in the in my first book. It was the first day, just like you. Yep. And and when you said that, it, it made me laugh or inside because I was like, oh, my gosh, maybe this is just something that we do, you know, as, as humans. Yeah. But I, I remember getting to my hotel. I'm completely sunburnt. My shoulders are shattered from the backpack. Yeah. I have a, a I have a. a bunch of Chinese food that I just purchased (laughs) and I'm standing there naked in the mirror, looking at myself in the mirror Mm -hmm. and saying, what the F are you doing? Like you're an idiot. Like (laughs) who are you, what are you trying to prove? Like there's no metal, there's no t-shirt, like nobody cares, you know, it's like, and you, and you're just, and it's like, I I could call a friend or my dad or whatever in two hours. He can come. It took me 
10 hours to bike here and two hours I could be home and have spaghetti, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting because you do have those conversations and, and with yourself, especially when you're by yourself, because nobody else Absolutely. is there. Nobody else to talk to. <laughs> There's nobody to talk to. <laughs> so you just do that in journal. And, uh, yeah, and check you, in there. There's nobody else on the bike. <laughs> and then you become that weird guy that goes and chats up the, the, the people at the, at the quickie marts and stuff. Cause it's like, you just want somebody to talk to. <laughs> yeah, it is quite funny. And other people take, um, simply because on the second day I got caught in rain again. And I remember I needed to stop to get something to eat because I was freezing and I was hungry. And I walked into this cafe and I took my helmet off and I was clearly soaked. And this guy just grabbed a stack of uh, napkins and gave them to me so that I could sort of dry myself off. Oh. So I'm not even going to take my jacket off because I'm just going to get cold and then I'm going to put it back on again. So it was quite funny. And, and But you do get chatting to people in different places. And I, I didn't meet anybody like you in Antarctica, but you do make these friendships because people are doing similar, they're doing their own version of what you're doing. And so um, there, there's this sort of openness to connect with other people, I think. Well, and you brought up something previously too about emotional, how it's emotional. And, uh, and I, I write about that as well, because, you know, you meet somebody for three days and oftentimes they know more about you than your own parents after those yeah. three days because you the timeline becomes uh shorter it's like and you 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 embrace this person because you're kindred spirits and you're both out there in the middle of nowhere doing whatever and um and so yeah and then after and then it's three days later you don't have them in your life anymore it's like yeah. it's like breaking up 300 times in a year <laughs> yeah. and uh and you know you 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 lie to yourself you're going to stay in touch or maybe you become facebook friends now but you know they're, they they were part of your life and you can never reminisce with them cuz you don't have anybody to share that with but that specific person and uh and so i think that was part of the reason why i wanted to write it down was me to be able to have something you know have something to bring back those memories of those people and 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 interestingly enough a lot of those people have reached out to me after and without me even wow. instigating mm -hmm. one of them said oh i picked up that book where we were hiking in torres del pine and uh and he, he's like yeah i forgot all about that it was great mem you know for him it was you know he just thought it was great and uh so yeah. yeah and like you said it's if not now when you know life is short and somebody was in your life for a, a week and that's a special that's a special time for you so yeah ab absolutely so looking at, stepping back from books for a moment, are there any sort of moments or memories that you have from travel that really stand out for you? Good, but not necessarily, you know, but just important moments for you that you look back on and, and just, you know, very grateful to have had that experience. Does anything jump out? I know I've just dropped that on you a little bit. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I don't give you much, I don't do much preparation. <laughs> That's a good, that's a good question. I, I think there's, I think there's a lot of, um, small moments, mm. um, where you, we just talked about when you connect with people and then every once in a while, there's this times where you're just like, I don't want to talk to anybody for three days. Yeah. And, and, and I found that my first time really was with, was when I was in Bolivia and, um, I was up by, uh, Lake Titicaca and little town Coca. Copacabana. And um, 
it's not as romantic as the song. It's <laughs> but, some, keep the fantasy alive. <laughs> but I, I just went out for a hike and it ended up that that hike ended up I found a, a guy who had a fishing boat and this fisherman rode me out to this island and um I spent like three days on this island just by myself in solitude. And I don't know that those it was those little moments I think that were the most kind of important uh, mm-hmm. for me. And um and then just everything is so eye open. It's, it, it's it, the eye opening of how people live, especially when you get into some of these third world countries and how it's cliche, I know, but how gracious people are. Oh my goodness. Like mm-hmm. I can't think of, I can think of a couple of times I thought that was it. My life's over. But uh, a couple of those times were um, maybe it's because I put myself in that situation, like running with mm-hmm. the bulls. That probably wasn't the smartest thing. Um but i was i was uh leaving sarajevo kind of right at the tail end of the conflict when the conflict in croatia was going on and that was a terrifying moment because one at one point i was walking through a field and i didn't realize the tremendous danger of the landmines and a local kind of hollered at me and told me to come back onto the pavement and then another time a bus we our little bus got stopped little 20 seater bus and by some militant military people. And I had no idea, you know, in the U S I, I didn't know what team we were on. <laughs> were yeah. we on the Serbs team or maybe we were funding both of them. Who knows? But I, all I knew was I was the only guy on the bus with a backpack who didn't look like he belonged. And mm-hmm. they came up to me with a, a machine gun and grabbed my passport. And I was pretty much thought that was going to be it. And then there was an argument that happened in, a, in, in their language and, they let us go. And I was like, okay, I don't yeah. know what happened. I don't know. How, yeah. I don't know how close to the end I was there, but uh, you know, yeah. those moments, then you go and you start, then you go to the bar and you reflect about what just happened. And uh, that, that, yeah, that's, <laughs> maybe that's when the shaking starts. <laughs> and I'm sure with, you know, with you being a photographer, you, 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 you've probably been, whether it's like a dangerous area or like wildlife or, Mm-hmm. something you know i'm sure you've been in those situations where you're like oh boy I'm glad, I'm glad i got that photo but i'm glad that i'm home absolutely yeah i get a lot of those moments when i i just say to myself what were you thinking of when you said <laughs> yes to this <laughs> this is probably the dumbest thing you've done up to this point and then i find a new dumbest to go down to so <laughs> it's all exciting but yeah i mean i i think those moments um they're important they're not things you particularly look for when you when you're setting up these trips but they again it's perhaps another aspect of that just I I don't know if it's challenging yourself or stretching yourself or whatever you're doing but just getting out there and saying yes to whatever happens next and and going with it and I think um there's a a courage in that as well um and and that's where I think we grow in as people which is something I've found when I've been traveling and um Actually, not so much with the animal. I've been I've been lucky with animals. I have one or two interesting situations, but on the whole, it's been pretty good. So, so I guess going back to if we talk about your books for a moment, so the three books. Do you want to talk through those? And I'll put oh, a sure. link. You listening? Who wants to find out more? There's a link in the des- description. Yeah, sure. So the first book, um, I, I had been working on it. Basically, I had all these again this was before social media um so i was anytime i could find a library when i was bicycling to california i would pull in and and in the united states anyway you could go into a library and use the internet for 15 minutes 
um, there was all these weird limits. If you remember, it's yeah. like we had a, yeah. the free AOL accounts and it was all dial up. And, and so you go in and I would send a, send a quick email to friends and family um, and then tell them where I'm at. And as I would send this, I would get emails back saying, Hey, my friend wants to follow you. So then I would create this giant, you know, uh, list of, of contacts. And then that went on and on and on. And, um, and that's kind of how I, that was one of my journals. So I had my pen, pen and paper, and then I had that as a journal. And uh, so the book, the first book was um, when I got done with that, my, one of my cousins said to me, Hey, you should write a book. It was really, really enjoyed watching, you know, reading your emails. And they were so funny. Why don't you write a book? And I never thought much of it. I love journaling. I, I used to ride my motorcycle around the country and, and I did my journal and I just loved observing people and conversations and, and, uh, and I never ever went back and read them. I just enjoyed writing them. And, yeah. uh, um, and so I said, yeah, okay, you know what? I think I'm going to do that. And iPads just came out and I said, you know what? I don't need an iPad, but I'm pretty materialistic now. So I'm going to go get an iPad and I'm going to get it. My justification is I'm going to write a book. Yeah. <laughs> so I wrote the book on the iPad and I had 28 chapters outlined and I thought it was brilliant. And I was flying over to Europe and I left my iPad on the airplane. Uh. And I said, oh my goodness. And I was so frustrated. And uh, fast forward about five years later, I sold my company and they issued the new company issued me an iPad and I opened it up. And that's when I learned about the cloud. <laughs> and I was like, oh, there's my book. <laughs> so I, I reread it and uh, it was horrible. It, it was like a seven year old wrote it. I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, I was trying to be poetic. And yeah. uh, no. so yeah. I rewrote the whole thing. And um, my dad had saved all my emails. So he gave me all those. So I had all these notes that I could go back and see where I was on each day. And, and, um, and so then I rewrote it. And uh, I sent it off to an editor and um, and I picked an editor who was completely opposite of me in politics, in um, lifestyle, everything. Because I thought this person would challenge me the most. She doesn't know me. She probably doesn't like me. And that's going to be that's the best. That's what I mm. that's what I want. And she did. She she kind of raked me over the coals. But the, the product then came out and. I don't know if it's timing or just luck or actually I'm a good writer, but uh, right away um, I won about 30 awards and then it became an Amazon bestseller. And so it's been an Amazon bestseller for about two years now. So, uh, so I was like, wow, that's cool. Maybe I'll write the other part of the story. And that was from California to Antarctica because I like talking about it. So I might as well write about it. (laughs) So I wrote that book and that one's called, so the first book is called the Buddha and the bee. And the second book is called Unlost. And the third book, which comes out in on the 13th of February, is called Embracing Bewilderment. And that one is, when I come back from Antarctica, I go to reconnect with her, I call her Cindy in the book, um, who is the yeah. Australian woman. And um, I started in Iceland, worked my way down to the UK, and then um, kind of dabble around Europe a little bit, and then go to Southeast Asia and so that's what that book's about. And then it ends with saying, what do, what do you do when you uh, don't have a college education and haven't worked in two years? Start mm. a business. Yep. <laughs> that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So what advice do you have for anybody who's maybe, I don't know, I, probably a couple of things. One is somebody's thinking of doing something that's a little bit off the beaten track, just wants to do something of their own. What advice would you have for those people and then the other 
people, might be the same people, is someone who's just kind of got those really itchy feet, maybe just wants to get moving and wants to step out of the nine to five. What advice would you have for those two people? You know, to the, I would, I, I met a lot of great people and I, I remember this, these two women, um, they were from Bristol, uh, England. And um, at the time I was 31 and they were probably in their fifties. So they looked really old, you know, it's like, Oh, who are these old women? I have to talk to them. And, um, and so I did, and they, they were telling me about how they decided that they were, they were uh, not married and they were best friends and they had been working in a factory like for 30 years in a factory, like every morning they'd shuffle into this factory, probably windowless. I don't know, but they, and they told me, they said, we realized that we wasted 30 years of our life in this factory, making just enough money to get by. Mm -hmm. And so we just decided we don't need the factory and we could, you know, we could do it on our own. And I ran into them somewhere in South America. And, uh, and I think that's, you gotta, you gotta ask yourself, like, it's nice having the income. It's nice having all that, but what you, but what you don't realize, and you, and you know, this is if this is what I would tell myself by the time when I was 22, I didn't know anything. When I was 29, I had two houses and a decent career. So in seven years or six years, I somehow managed to go from not knowing anything to somehow owning two houses and having a good career. And I figured, okay, if I can do that in nine years, whatever, I can't even count six years. Um, then when I go and travel and I come back, I already have that foundation of knowledge. Mm. I know how to buy the house. So hopefully I can get to where I was in half the time. And that was like my delusion. That was what I told myself, you know, it was like, yeah. so I've done it somehow. I did it. Now I have the experience and, and there's always going to be somebody who needs somebody to work. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, and, and now, now with, with the internet, um, one of the things that my wife and I did when we left, uh, in 2015 and we were down in South America for two years is we'd go to a website called workaway.info. And what's brilliant about that, if you haven't heard of it is you can go on there and uh, my wife's a big animal lover. So you could go on there and say volunteer with animals and in Bolivia you know, or Costa Rica. And there's a place called the Jaguar Sanctuary in Costa Rica. And uh, you go there and they're always look just like you said earlier about the safari, you know, going out and, you know, instead of going on safari, volunteer for the group that takes you on safari. Yeah. And they're always looking for people. And you go there, you don't get paid, but you probably get a bed or a hammock and you probably get a couple bananas a day. But that's all you need. Like, then you realize that's all I need. Like, I suddenly realized all I needed would fit in a 40 liter backpack. That's mm. amazing. And now I look around my house and I'm like, why do I have this stuff on a fire mantle? Like, what am I, what am I going to do with that? But I have it. You can see it in the background. I'm like, what do I have all this stuff? You know? I know exactly what I mean. My goddaughter once said to me, you, you just want, all you want is, is enough to put in the backpack and that's it. And I think, yeah, that's pretty much. Because I, I do the same. I look around my house and think, why do I own all this stuff? Because I think one of the things that I got from traveling and stretching is just understanding what value is and what's yeah. valuable in your life and for me it's not the junk <laughs> that is all around me as nice and pretty and everything else that it is it's, it's not that so um, I've well, kind of benefits for me from from doing all of this i was just doing uh writing out our, our will you know for the yeah. for when we move on and my wife yeah. and i don't have kids and 
and I was putting down items and I said, what would, what do I, my nephews and nieces want? Like, it's just stuff, you know, and I have a fancy chair that they might want or a desk and I have a, a nice Mont Blanc pen that I, you know, but yeah. I don't know, a Swiss army knife that my dad bought me when I was 18, but it's like, that doesn't mean anything to them, you know? And, uh, it, it's just, it's, it isn't. And we work so hard for it. Don't we, we work our whole life so we can acquire yeah. all this stuff that gets thrown away at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It puts things in perspective. I think, I think when you go to the other thing you said about visiting, um, I'll paraphrase a bit, I can't remember exactly what you said. Now, when you're visiting a lot of these third world countries, um, they're just very generous. They connect with you. And I, I've had that when I have been to places like that. And um, I did sponsor a girl in the Philippines for years and I ended up visiting their, their village on one, on one occasion. And um, in fact, a lot of the young guys were looking at me and I just assumed it was my beauty that they were, you know, enthralled by. But it turned out that I was actually the first white person to go to that village, which was in 2014, and it was really surprised me. But the connections and the happiness and, the, you know, the, to me their quality of life was way better than what I've experienced from the perspective of just connecting with other people and family and all of that. Um, they didn't have the wealth that we had, but I think what they had was was far more important um, so that's, I guess, one of one of the takes I have on on the travel I've done. And I hundred percent agree with that. Uh, I mean, in the Philippines, I, you know, I, I I don't know. I used to call myself the white gorilla, you know, because I was this <laughs> white guy with arm hair. <laughs> and you know, when the little kids would come up and do mano pao, or you know, the yeah, blessing, yeah, and uh, they they would all be touching your arms and legs and. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, but you're right. I, I mean, I, w- I would, I remember I had a mountain bike when I was in the Philippines um, and I was biking around at 10 miles an hour and I'd look and see little huts and people and you could see the ocean maybe through the huts. And I'm like, first of all, this guy's got a hut. Second of all, he's on the ocean, which is like mm-hmm. amazing. And I, I could see him hanging in his swing and I'm thinking, what a life, man. Catch a fish, <laughs> eat a fish. That's it. lay in the hammock you know maybe buy two fishes and then sell the other one but uh you know i mean like life is just doesn't need to be as hard as we make it no absolutely yeah. not i'm gonna wind things up in a moment um sure. is there anything else you want to share or would like to just maybe say to anybody who's listening who's, who's found this interesting and hopefully a, a little bit inspiring if if not more you know, yeah. First of all, I want to thank you, Graham, for your time and allowing me to be on your podcast. Um, um, that's really, really uh, wonderful of you. And uh, I, you don't know, really, um, I think travel. If kind of break break out of break out of your comfort zone occasionally, mm-hmm. um, maybe not too much. You know, I don't like heights, so I don't need to find myself at the edge of the Grand Canyon. But uh, you know, but. At least I tried it. At least I went there and I looked over the edge, right? Yep. And I think that's what you have to do. I think I think you got to, like you said earlier um, about your motorcycle trip, about how you were you were so out of your element, but then it made you, it changed you in so many ways. It allow you to allow you to realize that you can do more than you ever thought mm-hmm. you could do. Yeah, and I think you know travel could be that way. It could be writing a book. It could be starting a business. It's I think, like you say, if not when, if not now, when, you know, 
I'm 50. When I was 31, I thought my life was over. <laughs> you know, and I was like, I'll never be able to travel the world. I, I'm 54 now. And in that short time, I, and I'm not bragging, this is not bragging, but mm. I'm just, you know, in that short time, I've written three books. I started a business. I sold a business. I got married. And I'm thinking, wow, a lot happened uh, after my life was over at 31. <laughs> <laughs> or at least yeah. when I thought it was over. So I just, you know, just just do it. Just go out and Nike says, just do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I've really enjoyed um, talking to you, Corey, meeting you because we've not met before. So, um, yeah, thank you for giving me the time. And, um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. So um, Thank you, Graham. You're welcome. All right. Well, good. have a great life, everybody. Just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined. Uh, with the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the um, the platform I use for all of my podcasts, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron, and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, you'll get access to exclusive material, behind-the-scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So there is information available through my website and um, also on the, uh, uh, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance. And whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcast and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now. Thank you.